0: listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn.
1: Welcome to the Inclusive AF
0: podcast. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. And today we're excited. We have an extra special guest with us. Is that right? Who's our guest? Elena Joy Thurston. I think that's how you should say it.
1: I think
2: you're right. (laughs)
1: Elena Joy thirsty.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: we,
1: need, we need all the joy we can get today, people. All, right. all the joy we can get. Um, so we are recording this the day after the um, breach of the Capitol, the invasion of the Capitol. The, I don't even know the right words. Jackie's looking at me like I've lost it. Um, I don't know what the right word is. To, Psychos
0: like, freaking tried to storm the castle yesterday.
1: Yeah, I, it's very interesting to me to see all of the Folks, So we already I don't know if you all have been on Twitter this morning at all, but there's already been a, a couple HR folks who have um, heard the response that maybe they should not have been involved in anything going on yesterday. And so we're I think we're going to see some folks tumble from their roles, which I think is appropriate. So. Um, so, yeah, Love your actions. <laughs> your actions have consequences, folks,
0: FYI. Um, all right. Well, Elena Joy, <laughs> Elena Joy Thurston, if yes. you've seen her TED talk, like the multiple thousands, thousands of people, has a very interesting story and a kind face. Tell the people, Elena Joy Thurston, tell our guests about you. Okay. Well, besides having the world's
2: best middle name. I am a mom of four kids, I live in Arizona, I'm a fly fisher, I am an ex-Mormon or I like to say a post-Mormon, I've kind of evolved beyond it, and I am a lesbian and I am an organizational trainer, I run a foundation that helps businesses increase inclusion with their LGBTQ employees.
0: I love that. I love that you do that. It's so funny. You know, people, it's I, when people are trying to be inclusive and then they don't know how, and I'm so glad that they have people like you that specialize specifically to help guide people through that.
2: I agree. I find it has been very interesting as I've reached out to different companies Some of them get it, right? Some of them have HR departments that are like, yes, we don't specialize in this. So we do need someone to with firsthand experience to help. But I just reached out to an organization last week and her response was, we handle all of that kind of training in-house. And I wanted to respond and be like, really, you have someone in-house that's every single minority, including gender orientation and sexuality? Really? You feel like you're capable of disseminating that experience
1: for can your entire organization?
0: Please, can I have their name? Because I need to get in contact with this person. <laughs> right? Because
1: <laughs> they mu- the must be the most inclusive, mu- most fabulous company ever. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Here in
2: Phoenix, Arizona. Hello. Of course.
1: <laughs> you betcha. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we do talk about this quite a bit um, because of the roles that we hold, but I think that's one of the things that, you know, it, and not as a sales pitch, but truly as a, if you're going to sell a product, if you're going to do whatever you're going to do as a business, you don't just go, hey, let's just take um, Sally in accounting and have her be the product person all of a sudden. You actually hire for expertise and you hire for someone that knows what they're doing and, and you bring them in to help you get it right, especially something like this. So, um, you know, thank you for sharing a little bit, but I wanna dig in on A, why did you start your company? What, what was your, what's your story? Tell us your yeah. story.
2: <laughs> yeah, so the story definitely is the setup for it. So I joined the Mormon church when I was 16. I was married by the time I was 20. I started having babies by 22. I had four babies by 32. Um, so I think like, as much as that feels like a summarization, I think everyone kind of really gets what that is, right? Like that is a dedicated effort to procreate (laughs) (laughs) and get those babies out. Right. And, and then that means I was, I was also living a very conservative lifestyle. Um, I, I can't even, I, I try to think of examples to like really get it out there. For example, my neighborhood had white picket fences around it and tree lined streets and mailboxes in the front yard, which is very rare for Arizona. Like we're a very like new suburban neighborhood, so We don't have mailboxes, but this neighborhood did, right? And I drove the Honda minivan and I went to the book club every month, but bigger than that was 80% of my neighborhood was of this very conservative religion. So it's not like I went to church on Sundays and that was it, right? It's not like that. It's like you go to church for three hours on Sunday and then you're also there in the middle of the week. And then the women that you're hanging out with at the playground for your play dates, they're all members of the church. And then you all see them in your neighborhood grocery store. Like It was my entire life and um, it was a beautiful life. It was a very privileged, very bubble- very thick, bubbled life. Um, I literally did not know any gay people. I had very surface level uh, friendships and relationships with people of color, of any color. Very much, it was an echo chamber. And that's where I existed for 18 years. And then magically one day I realized... (laughs) I was completely in love with my best friend. And maybe that was the reason why I really didn't enjoy my marriage or my life. And unfortunately the path that that leads you down when you're in that world is there's something wrong with me. I have a beautiful life and and where I went, unfortunately why it hung on for so long was because I was so ashamed that I hated my life. I knew I was beyond blessed there was nothing I should have been disgusted about that life. And yet I was, and I was so ashamed of that that I wouldn't even let myself like go there. And so it went on and on and on for a very long time. And unfortunately a byproduct of that is that my judgment of other people like grew and grew and grew because I I was so discontented within myself that all I could do is judge other people. Heaven forbid, I judge myself. (laughs) And the lack of authenticity within myself, right? So as it, it all came to kind of a height when I realized I was uncontrollably in love with this other woman and realizing not only was my marriage at risk, not only was my membership within the community at risk, but my relationship with God was at risk. I had been taught for decades that Uh, same-sex attraction would keep me from heaven and keep me from a relationship with God. And I had worked damn hard (laughs) to have a relationship with God and to earn my place in heaven. Like I wasn't, I'm sure you can tell by now, like I wasn't just like, I'm Mormon. I was like the Mormon. I checked all the boxes. I did all the things. I damn well was getting into heaven kind of thing. So I wasn't going to risk that. And when I heard that there was a guy in town that could help make you normal again, I signed up for that hook, line and sinker. Like I was desperate, I was desperate. And unfortunately what that is, is it's conversion therapy and it's illegal in about 20 states, but only for minors. It's not illegal in Arizona at all. Um, And so I went for four days a week, two hours a day He told me it would take a month or two. I was going for six months um, before I had a series of realizations that this was not working and it was actually very damaging for me. And I was able to get out of that and start my healing and file for divorce and come out to my community and to my family and to myself, right? That's who you have to come out to first. And then um, after that, I realized, again, referencing back to the bubble, I just had no idea how many people in the world were struggling. And so 57% of people who go through conversion therapy become suicidal. And I was one of them. And I was very privileged and lucky to get help right away. And I am here today because of that. And to wake up and realize, oh, this was not a random occurrence. Like this experience is being had every single day, by LGBTQ people around the world, and especially with the with our teenagers and our college-age youth. this suicide risk is so incredibly high. And knowing that I had been there and knowing that I'm a mom of four kids, I could not not act. I had to say something. I had to let people know it's not okay. Because that was part of the healing process was realizing the government thinks this is okay because it's not illegal. And as I talked about that and and testified in front of local and state and federal governments, I started to realize my community thought it was okay too because they prefer the privilege of choice over survival. And so that was um, hard. And, and and I felt like I needed the biggest impact I could make is to let the LGBTQ community know that it's not okay. Your government might think it's okay and your family might think it's okay, but it's actually not. And there needs to be someone to stand up for you. And I don't have a ton of talents and skills, but I can speak publicly. Like I can be on stage. I can handle a microphone. I can handle an audience. And so I feel like I kind of have a duty to do that. And then, so- coincidentally, my, my ex-husband, he was a partner at one of the big four law firms. So they do a lot of those HR trainings, right? And I can always tell on the day that he had an HR training, he would come home and like really practice his active listening skills. And he'd really invite some feedback, right? Like there was always like really great, consequences of these trainings that he went through. And I felt like, man, I wish he had had a training that told him I wasn't choosing to be gay, that told him I could still be a great mom and a productive member of society if I was a lesbian. Like there were so, we didn't even know the terms. Like all we talked about it was, it was a sin, not it was, and it was, if it was a sin, that meant it was a choice you were choosing to sin right so there was so much vocabulary we didn't have there was so much thought process we didn't have and so i felt like man i could make a big difference in the lgbtq community if i met people where they are which is at work right especially for our corporate sector they're at work like 60 80 hours a week sometimes so if i could meet them where they are and often the instigator of change is money right And when there are discriminatory and harassment lawsuits that are prompting change because of the money, um, it just sets a really great stage for change and development. So that's kind of what we
0: try to take advantage of. Yeah. But holy cow, wait, back up. (laughs) You were 16 when you went, I mean like there's so many, there's so many parts to this whole story. Yeah, there is.
2: So whatever you want to talk about, I'm totally open to talk about, but I, I could go on for hours and I don't want to bore you. So whatever <laughs> your question is, I'm there.
0: No, I, I'm so, I'm sad that you had the experience that I'm glad that you came out on the other side and that you're able to share that message with other people. I can't imagine not having those kinds of relationships or conversations and then feeling like you, like something happened to you. You and that you were at fault for some, like, I couldn't, um, I couldn't imagine. That I wouldn't even try to, you know, people like, I wouldn't even try to relate you because that's your, that situation must've been so hard. That's all I can think of. I mean, I did, I did have a, a question. I was curious about, about the conversion therapy, mm-hmm. like. What did you, what did he even, how did we it justify it? Is it, it, I'm wondering, because I've seen some different shows about like conversion therapies or different things on the other side and all of them, you know, some of them was it like a lifetime movie. I don't know if it was yeah. accurate, not like every lifetime movie. I don't know if that's right or not. But when you went, was it, was it all religious based because you had such a firm stronghold in the Mormon church? So did the conversion, th- was it, focus towards people who are also Mormon as well. and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So um, every program is unique, but so I'll start off by saying um, the definition of conversion therapy is any therapy whose goal is to suppress the same-sex attraction and result in heteronormative attraction. So you have a whole spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have very physically invasive therapy. And that's very popular, especially for the teenagers because many adults will not sign up to be in pain, but apparently we're willing to send our children. So we send our kids to these camps and um, it used to be back in the fifties to eighties, those camps would include electric shock. So they would show homoerotic images and they would use electric shock. But yeah, we're evolved past that now. And now what those camps do is they show the same homoerotic images but they force the kids to drink like a charcoal drink. So it induces vomiting. And so they get that mind body connection. So it's scientific, right? And so often we think that something that's scientific is valid and okay, but no, (laughs) like every comic book series ever shows us that the bad guy can use science to his advantage. Right? So on the other end of the spectrum is, um, more like talk therapy. And again, they use kind of a a pseudoscience. And in my case, the quote unquote therapist, uh, his concept was something happened to you when you were younger that made you think that you're attracted to women. And if we can go back in your memories and heal that trauma, you won't be attracted to women anymore. So that felt logical and kind of scientific, right? And kind of like, yeah, that seems like a solid practice. If you were willing to believe that which I definitely was and as you brought up earlier what you were saying Jackie about to to have those consequences of something you didn't choose but it was something that happened to you right and that's part of the damage that that type of conversion therapy can do because like most women in America yes I had been assaulted as a teenager Um, I had experienced a gang rape at 15. And so once this therapist, and I had never told anyone, not my husband, not my best friend, like no one, not the police, not my parents, no one. And so here I am at 37 in this therapy office. And he had told me, it's only going to take one or two months if you work really hard. And we got to four months and he was like, there must be something you're not telling me. And so I dredged that up and he said, oh, that's it. That's it. That's why you think you're gay. So, we're going to heal that experience and you won't be gay anymore. And so, then that started a whole process of okay, I was a victim at 15 and now this is coming back to haunt me at 37 and it's destroying my entire life and making me a victim again. Like it it became an entire, to say the word again, a victimization process. Right. And, And you feel powerless and you feel angry and all of the things that you feel in that. And it literally wasn't until the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and the Me Too movement. And here I am struggling in therapy four days a week. And I'm hearing and seeing all these headlines. Three quarters of American women have been assaulted in their lifetime. And that might be a conservative number. And I finally connected the dots. Three quarters of American women are not gay like not even close. And I started to think about all these amazing friends that I have who had been through horrific traumatic experiences and still had incredibly healthy, loving, intimate lives with their husbands. It was not adding up. And it was then that I was finally like, I've been lied to. I've been completely and totally lied to and I cannot trust this man anymore.
1: Yeah. So... I, I want to call something out because you, you mentioned this in your TED talk and I want to make sure our listeners are aware. Who is approving or making sure that these therapies are done correctly? Is there an oversight group or is this, a, I, I already know the answer, so this is a, a definite yeah. lead, but <laughs> who who said, yeah, this is the way we should do it. We should use electric shock therapy. We should use Uh, you know, charcoal that then induces vomiting, you know, is this approved by the American Medical Association? Who, who approved this?
2: Sure. So in the last five years, the AMA, the American Medical Association and the APA, the American Psychological Association have both debunked it and have asked Capitol Hill to please make a federal ban. Um, we as Americans won't let that happen because we value our right to choose and not let government tell us where we can get help and where we can't. So um, what? it's not a body. It's not a governing body. What you have is like many issues in life. You have some scientists, some therapists, some psychologists who believe that homosexuality is wrong. And so they're using their expertise to try to make an impact. And they are making an impact. It's just not a good one.
1: Right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, I, I know that obviously telling your husband, telling your community was tough. Um, yeah. How did you tell your kids? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the wild story, right?
2: Um, I moved out first and because I didn't want them to blame the divorce on anything specific, right? Like, regardless of what was happening this marriage was not working it was not healthy and we were not setting a good example for them so the divorce kind of needed to be a separate thing I filed for divorce I moved out I moved into my own place for the first time I'd been married since 20 right so I had my own master bedroom for the first time my own master bathroom I could leave the box of tampons out like it was amazing (laughs) and um yeah. And I was just trying to figure myself out. And about six months into that, I heard through the grapevine through mutual friend that my ex-husband was going to tell my kids about my sexuality unless I told them and soon. So of course that lit a fire under my bed. And so then it was, cause it was the scariest thing I could possibly think of was coming out to my four Mormon kids. Oh. Like I was the one that taught them that homosexuality is a sin. I am the one that taught my teenage boys, if you masturbate, you'll be gay. Like I was the one that did all of that. And then my ex-husband and I had moved to the same neighborhood right by our kids' schools. And so they, he was literally walking distance away. I had this massive fear that as soon as I told my teenage boys, they would walk out of my house and they'd be gone. So I told my girls first, my girls were, 8 and 10 at the time i think and we were cuddling before bed and i was like okay guys you know how, like dad has a girlfriend and he's happy now and we're all happy for him mom has a girlfriend too and they were like yeah we know she's a girl and she's your friend i was like go to bed
0: <laughs> yeah. and let's leave it at that yeah well yeah. <laughs> happy now yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they
2: eventually yeah. got it a few days later but once they saw us like holding hands and cuddling and stuff then they were like connecting the dots and realizing the telling my boys was really hard they were 14 and 16 at the time I think and stalwart mem- priesthood holders you know like mm. and they're boys <laughs> I don't mm. know it was just it was really hard but when I told them bawling my eyes out uh their response was yeah we kind of figured and I was like you couldn't say anything yeah <laughs> I've been stressing for weeks
0: now you you and mouth, right, right. Uh-uh. and they
2: were like well what if we were wrong that would be awkward <laughs> it's like yeah I point. guess valid right. point so um They've both struggled a little bit on and off, but what is fascinating is that as they have grown and the same thing has happened with my girls, the one who is 10 is now 12. As they've grown and made new friends and their friends have come over and hung out at my house, many of their friends have come out to them because they feel like they're safe. They're, you know, my kid's mom is gay. So they feel like, okay, I can come out to you, I think I'm bi, I think I'm pan. I I don't know what's going on, but I think I'm questioning, right? And so through that experience, they've realized, okay, my mom's not really a sinner because I know these people. I know my friends, I've known them my whole life. I love them and they're questioning too. And I know they're good people. So that's been a great experience for all of us.
0: And they get to see there is more than one way Right, there is more than one um, definition of what this means, of what love is, of what family is about these emotions. And and fourteen, I mean, like, no offense, grown men. Well, maybe a little, but fourteen-year-old boys suck. Dirt right pop. There at the eighth grade, I'll never forget calling my son TJ's vice principal, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Because something happened, and they and they were like, "This is normal." Apparently, because I'm one of those moms, like the PTA moms, and all those things, like you were talking about. And apparently, I think all of us had called at one point, like with our boys, like, Ugh. and they're like, "This is normal. It, they'll come back. It could take a year to two years, but they come back." So having to add uh, something new, even going through a divorce would be tough enough. Yeah. Was the only thing. But you're going. You're trying to heal on your own, and then no parent wants to. Every parent wants to be everything their kids, everything, and feeling that inside as you are coming to grips of all of that would be tough. I'm proud of you for doing that. I am so yeah. proud of you for doing that. It is amazing. You're amazing. Well, I don't know why you have the middle name Joy, Elena Joy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will tell you a funny funny kind of related kind of not story my son came to me and he was like in pre-k three and he said mommy boys love girls and girls love boys and I said yes and he goes but mommy some girls like other girls and some boys like other boys and I was like yes you are right are we doing this right now like we just got potty trained Right. <laughs> okay. I guess it's time. You know, my mom always said, "You know, when you talk to your children, they will let you know when they're ready to have these conversations." I just didn't know three. You know, I right. I, they'd at least know how to spell their name. I tell you what, man,
2: this Gen Z. Every day, I am astounded by them. And one of the biggest things that I tell organizations is. I am a Gen Xer. I'm a very young Gen Xer. And Gen X is we run right about 8% for claiming to be on the LGBTQ. Millennials, they run right around 10% for claiming to be LGBTQ. Gen Z, who are currently right now about 15 to 24, yeah, they're at 33%. So in 10 years, our workforce is going to be either LGBTQ or they know and love someone who is LGBTQ. So if these organizations do not get on board and start figuring out some things that work and don't work, they are going to be shell-shocked in five years. Because these kids, like their concept of what queerness is, is totally different. Like, we really like boxes. I'm a lesbian. You're a transsexual. Like, we really like boxes. Gen Z could care less. <laughs> they
0: no, could care I mean, less. <laughs> I, I as as people who know me know, like, my daughter has a girlfriend. She does not identify as a lesbian. And I was like, okay. Like, that's okay. Like, I'm, you know, I support you no matter what. But, I'm, right. I, you know, I say okay, but I'm Gen X too. So, like, I have to go. Google what that even means, right? And I think I have to have that conversations and all of our diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Oh, you know, we need to be able to find disabled candidates mm-hmm. um, or people that are disabled, the software developers that are also disabled. And the response I got was, I don't want to call anybody disabled. And I said, that's because you're Genet, you're Gen X, yeah. And we were raised different. Like, I think as stupid as it sounds, everybody who's Gen X needs to watch 21 Jump Street, the remake. Have you ever seen it, Katie? Oh, you have to go see it. Because in it, have you seen it, Elena? No. It's so important because in it, whoever it was, whatever his name is, um, he went back to school and he's like, no, he was the popular kid in school. And he's like, I'm gonna go back to school And I'm going to be the popular one. And he's a Gen Xer. So he goes in and he has his collar all popped, you know, and he starts making fun of this kid for his sexuality and all the kids that are currently in school. Because if you remember 21 Jump Street, they were undercover at the high school. And so all the kids are school are like, you're a jerk, you know, because And even though you just have to look at it from that lens, don't look. If this is going to be the best movie of your life but if you see it it tells a lot so the guy that was a nerd in high school is really cool now right <laughs> the things that made him not cool makes him cool and the guy who was cool he's like completely hated right yeah. and I think about it all the time because it just said a lot when I watched it and I tell my kids all the time when they say something I'm like because we didn't do that that no My I- mm-hmm. and they'll be like yes you did I was like we didn't you were allowed to say that because there were no gay people in 1980 that's why they did that in that movie it was like against the law and people will look at you like your kids are like what do you mean but it's like this is the world we lived in we lived in and this is what we were fed which made it something that we believe Mm -hmm. but I, i you know it's one thing to have guess the regular growing up it's another thing to like you said, you've wanted to form a relationship with God that didn't go away and having a whole congregation support you in that journey that you knew you had a lot to walk away from you had a lot to walk away from. That's really strong.
2: I've just come to realize that there's um, one thing that I uh, lost that I didn't anticipate like I knew my Mormon friends as much as they loved me and I loved them they can't reconcile that. It's just, that's not going to work. So I knew there were obvious things that I was going to lose. But then there were little things like I didn't think about my daughters wouldn't be invited for play dates anymore. Mm. And that my daughter's friends wouldn't be allowed to come to my house anymore to play. Like there were things like that that I didn't realize. Oh yeah, I lost that too. (laughs) Mm. Yeah.
1: And I think that's part of this too is that it's the It has to be a secret it has to be undercover and even you know you were mentioning jack you know back in the day and i we've had this discussion before like shows that we watched in the 90s could not be remade today because they would not survive because they don't age well (laughs) no like i like so i was like a friends watcher we would go to the same place every week and watch friends and we thought it was the greatest show ever you go back and watch those episodes now, and you're like, "Oof," you know, the fat shaming, the comments on LGBTQ people, like all of these things that you're like, "Ooh," now knowing better, it's you're you realize it's not great, and and you realize that though what you're saying, Jackie, is spot on, we mm-hmm. were just conditioned that that was something that was over there. It wasn't it wasn't real for us. It was the others, and it's so very similar to so many of the things we're seeing today of that Mm -hmm. othering of people and trying to kind of push people to the outskirts that aren't like us. And how does that actually, you know, I love, Elena, that you're doing this in organizations because it is highlighting things of this generation coming into the workforce or that's already in the workforce does not care and is not wanting to other people in that manner. And so how do you approach leaders who a lot of them are Gen Xers, or some even boomers still yep.
0: <laughs> working
1: yep. through that. Um, you know, how do you help organizations? And, you know, I know we have talked about language before, but, you know, tell us a little bit about how you work with organizations and some of the things that you, what do you Absolutely. work with them on? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up those old TV shows
2: because my one of my favorite parts of the training that we do I show clips from, do you remember Pat from Saturday Night Live? Yes. Yes. Thank you. So I introduced the concept of non-binary and then I show clips of Pat and how people reacted and how that was like so funny. And I love watching the faces in the room because the Gen Xers and the boomers are like, I remember that and they're laughing. And the Gen Zs and the millennials that are in the room are like, what the hell is this? (laughs) And that alone, those people realizing there's such a distinct difference in the reaction, that alone can create such great dialogue that we can have in that room right then. Um, So basically, yes, what we do in creating LGBTQ inclusion is first off, the secret sauce is that I can walk in in a completely non-judgmental way. You can have the biggest bigot in the room and I can't judge him because I was him, right? I was the person that went to California to campaign against Prop 8. Like I was that person and I'm not gonna judge you for being that person. Absolutely not. But I am gonna teach you how to not judge yourself and not judge others as well and not to make those um, assumptions, right? All the assumptions. So we do bring in a lot of emotional intelligence training, which is pretty pivotal, I think, in any systemic change. And one of the concepts that we really drill is sustainable change is not possible without radically acknowledging reality. What is the reality that we are working with right now? And the reality is that 33% of our population of adults are going to be LGBTQ. And we need to... Are we really going to other a third of our population, or are we going to find a way to work together? And so, from that basis, we're able to really move forward.
0: There are some people who need you today? <laughs> <laughs> no time for you to be at home. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, that's the whole All done. Yeah. Write right. That up. Let's write that up because that, that's what goes on with so many of these groups, right? And so mm-hmm. many things that people don't understand. Like you can't. I've had people like I went into diversity training and said, "Oh yes, we're gonna we're gonna spend a time with LGBTQ um, scenarios and trying to get understanding." And I had somebody say, "If asked if we could not do the T, if we could do the LGB." But not the key and it's like the fact that you even felt comfortable enough to ask me that question is problematic.
2: Mm -hmm. Very problematic and I agree I've had that pushback as well and the biggest benefit and oftentimes the biggest way I have to get in the door to these companies is by saying let's just talk about the letters let's talk about the alphabet mafia and let's create a safe space for you to ask what the hell does the Q stand for? And, and how are we like actually interacting with all of this vocabulary? And once we've gone through that hour of conversation, the doors have opened up for so much more. So I've learned that that verbiage, the empowerment that comes through that language and the safe space of being able to ask questions. And, and I love it because it's such a great example for when... Those people go home and their kids want to ask those questions Mm -hmm. and they're able to, from a one hour training at work, they're able to, instead of avoiding that question, say, oh, I know what non-binary means. Let's have a conversation about that. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot
0: bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening
2: next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's so important. And I think so many organizations want to they want to do DNI. They want to have these conversations, but there is this language piece that is mm-hmm. that is hard. And it and it's constantly evolving kind of across the board when you talk about all of the different ways that we are diverse, all the different ways that we approach things. And so I think that's part of it to your point, like the language piece is just hard. And and so it is, you know, giving them that here's what this word means. And it's not scary anymore Mm -hmm. and 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 you maybe can't relate but then there are things that you can't relate you are very relatable and your bravery i think comes through when you are having these conversations to say it's okay we can do this and we can get we can do hard things as Mm -hmm. uh you know our our friend uh you know has said to us many times like we can do things that are difficult and we can get through it so you know i think that the other piece that I would love for you to talk a little bit about is just when you're working with our organizations what i have found and you know tell me if this is similar for you is that they don't to jackie's point they don't want to talk about the t but they don't even want to talk about lgbtq period it really is more just a okay just tell us that anti-harassment anti you know anti-discrimination piece might not even be mentioned in their handbook or in their eeo that hey this is also something that is a protected class so, how do you get with organizations and kind of share with them that this is also an important piece of the conversation? If they maybe they are already doing some DNI stuff, mm-hmm. how do you get them to really think about this specific piece?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And man, if anyone has the quick answer for that, you know, I'll pay big money for that. <laughs> like because that's exactly the walls that I'm running into is them saying, we've got D&I covered, we do race and gender training once a year, and we don't need your help. Um, So the very first piece is giving them the statistic that 33% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ. And so that kind of helps to open some eyes. And then also to point out, employees do not stay for 40 years anymore, right? Like we're lucky to get an employee to stay five to 10 years. They're gonna leave at some point and they're gonna tell other people about their experience at your company. And and word gets around in the LGBTQ community real quick. Mm-hmm. So if they haven't had a positive experience with you, that review is gonna stay on glassdoor.com for a real long time. And I'll tell you what, LGBTQ people need only one bad job experience to then never accept an opportunity unless they've researched if they're welcome at that company and if they're gonna have an affirming experience there. Because we take our mental health very seriously and we are not going to walk in day after day after day to a toxic culture. It's not worth it for us and it's especially not worth it to Gen Z. They will walk out and they'll call you mad names as they walk out. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm so glad that you said that. I, I tell, um, if you've, I I know you've listened to the show. I always, my background is I work with recruiters a lot and I always say, you know, marginalized people's job looks, jobs look different and it is not the clean, you know, slope to the right and there's a lot of lateral moves sometimes you'll go backwards for a bigger company for more opportunity you know you didn't take the title so you could be comfortable and that's why it's so important for people to understand a candidate journey and and within these various groups and understanding that to get an idea so that you're looking and you're not saying i need 18 years of you know experience Mm -hmm. with growth in gaining responsibility and all of the different, Mm -hmm. because that just doesn't, life just doesn't happen like that. It doesn't. And I love that you're
2: educating recruiters on that because when you have a company that maybe needs a star programmer, who's very skilled and proficient in this one thing, and maybe there's an LGBTQ person who qualifies, but they think we can't get them because they're too far in their career. Right. But if you have an office environment, a workforce environment that is incredibly inclusive, you have a leg up in recruiting that talent. And so it's so worth the investment, not only to retain the key talent, but to recruit the key talent as well.
0: And to understand like how you can support. I mean, I train I train clients all the time who's leaving and it really goes around race and gender. like. You've lost more Black software engineers. I had to tell a client you've lost more Black software engineers than a company could wish to have ever hired ever of all time. In the past two wow. years, it was like 419 Black software engineers.
2: Oh
0: my gosh! In that one city, like that's like a whole, you know, that's a club. That's a freaking country club membership. For real so be good. I was shocked. And I, and the reason it becomes important within the HR space is because people are trying to reach these goals. And if you can't support the people who work there, you're never going to get, you're never going to increase by 30% if you lose 50% every year of turnover, because <laughs> you that's, already got D and i covered. Okay. That's math. <laughs> I, that math doesn't work. So <laughs> math obviously, because I eat a lot more calories than I burn. Like, that is very hard for me. <laughs> banana twins. <laughs> I should get some bananas out right now. Sorry. Yes. But I just, I, I'm glad that you, you do that. I hope that we can support you in that work. I, I'm curious, who is the ideal client for you? I'm, I'm I, mm-hmm. like, is there an organization that you kind of target? Is there a space that you, that is a sweet spot. I'm, I'm curious because we, you know, we're all doing the work. We all want to support each other. And- For sure.
2: But yes. So I have found, I have stopped knocking on the doors of businesses where I have to convince them they need DEI in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have stopped approaching companies that their board of directors looks very homogenous. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't waste my time there. I don't have the time to waste. And I am not here to change your mind from one end of the spectrum to the other. Like, I don't I don't have time for that. And I know y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. So I go towards companies that I've heard they have done great with creating sustainable change around women's leadership, around race leadership. Like, if they have a proven track record, then they are ready for the next level of discussion, which is LGBTQ. But if they haven't had those discussions, it's a waste of everyone's time and resources to bring me in at that point.
0: He snaps on that. <laughs> can we start doing <laughs> snaps? <laughs> we bring that back. We're Gen
2: We can do that.
0: Um,
1: well, first of all, thank you for sharing, and thank you for you know sharing a little bit of your story. And I know you know for those who have not watched your TEDx talk. I highly encourage anyone who's listening to go out and watch that TEDx talk because it is, you know, she shared a little bit, Elena shared a little bit about the story, but it just goes into a little bit more detail. And it's, um, it's very, very interesting. And I wanna thank you for your bravery um, because I think, you know, I, so much of this will, you know, maybe you're looking at this and we have talked about impact before and being an influencer before. And I think we don't even realize the impact that we have a lot of times. But the impact that you're making by having these conversations, by opening these doors for other folks to come to your home and and you know let your kids know, hey, I'm also LGBTQ. Those conversations, I think, are the the kind of downstream impact. If we want to talk about fishing uh, <laughs> downstream, um, <laughs> see, I know my lingo. No, um, that was good. Yes. That was good. I'm proud. <laughs> that was cute. Um, but we, we need to understand that impact. And, and I think having these conversations, this is, you know, why Jackie and I do this is we want to have these conversations. We want to have folks on that are making these impacts, even if you can't see today, right this minute, it's huge. And, and it's also, you know, when you're in organizations talking to leaders, to your point, they go home and then have these conversations with their kids or can answer the question correctly or better. You know, I think one of the things that, you know, we, we've talked about a little bit um, and Jackie's loving it right now is the, I love you, you know, I love you, period. Not, you know, not, I love you, even though you're this, it's just, I love you. I love you. You are my child. You are my friend. You are my family member, whatever it might be. And so really being clear about that and being thoughtful about that. So thank you. Um, Would love to hear. So at the end of each episode, we do this uh, fun little game. Um, And it is basically, what is the one thing that there aren't a hundred things, but what's the one thing that you want our listeners to know? And then we'll ask you also how they can get in touch with you. But let's start first with just what is your one takeaway that you absolutely want to make sure listeners get?
2: The first thing that jumps into mind is visibility is life. Visibility, as much as it is scary and can feel vulnerable, it not only gives you you life, but it inspires life in others. And so I'll give an example. In the last 48 hours, I have received two emails from employees. And this was shocking to me. I've never had that happen before, but now employees are reaching out to me. One woman, she's being transferred from one office in a state to another office in another state. And so she's emailing with them and she got a response email from a coworker who CC'd the boss and it highlighted her signature where it had her they, them, I apologize. She's non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. See, I trip up on it all the time as well. So it's fine, you just move on. So they had highlighted her signature with her they, them pronouns, their, them pronouns and said, what is this? What are you trying to do? And they responded, I am non-binary and gender fluid, and I use they, them pronouns. And the person responded, again, cc'd the boss and said, your name is Georgia. You look like a woman. You are a woman. Don't expect any special privileges from this office. We are not jumping through any hoops for you. So she reached out to me. We had a great discussion. Within 12 hours, I got another email from a, a woman in Colorado, who's engaged to another woman. And her coworker, again, a coworker up here, they're both directors at a nonprofit. Her coworker said, I won't be coming to your wedding. And I'm going to make sure no one in this office comes to your wedding because God does not like what you're doing. And you need to know that. Now, what I think of in that case is the managers that have no idea that they will maybe the one who got CC'd on the email, but they probably had no idea that person had that kind of response to pronouns, right? So these managers are blindsided. And now because of our discussions, because they reached out to me because I was visible, those women are now collecting the evidence they need so that if this is sustained behavior, it's considered harassment and they'll be able to file a lawsuit because of the SCOTUS decision from last June. So I could give you a bazillion examples of where visibility is life. And for me, what that example was, sitting in that rental six months after I moved out, I was scrolling through Instagram. And for the very first time, I, I went onto the Explorer page. And I think I wrote in love women or something like that and I saw my very first photo of two women getting married and they were happy. They were like really happy and the people around them in the photo were really happy for them and cheering and there was love and it was beautiful. And it was the very first time I had seen that. And it was like a punch to the gut to realize other people are making this work these women are not dysfunctional and unhappy and unproductive members of society because they chose to get married to another woman. Like it was inspirational and gave me life that night because some random couple in California posted their wedding picture, right? Like they will probably never know what an impact that made on my life. So I think if I could leave anything with your audience it would be visibility
1: is life, be visible. Awesome, thank you. Jackie, what is your one takeaway?
0: I oh, don't know, I'm about to start crying and I wanna throw <laughs> up on that whole situation. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm so sad for that. those women. I just, it pisses me off and I'm already pissed off. <laughs> um, I would say that just because you have a, a, a DEI person, doesn't mean that they know everything. You have to enhance it. It really does take a lot of knowledge and a lot of a lot of work. And so consider that, remember that inclusion means everyone. You don't get to pick and choose if you're gonna be able to do this right. So um, make sure that, and I say this a lot, it's not just women and people of color, even though that would be advantageous if it was for me as a black woman, I, I'm down. However, you have to embrace everyone and make sure you're embracing everyone, even the ones that you don't have to report on your whatever. list. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And for some of us, and I'm going to say this and it's not going to be a popular concept, but for some of us, that means in being inclusive of those jerks that are yeah, oh, we totally polarized, polarized to how we feel, right? Like they could be They could be in washington right now trying to break into the capitol building and there's still people and we somehow need to walk the walk of inclusivity
0: yes we talk about that i think every week (laughs) yeah absolutely
1: and i think the one is actually yeah the the one for me is actually what you you just mentioned just about you know we are all humans and and we are all a part of this conversation and so it might be scary if someone's doing something like using pronouns that you're not familiar with, Mm -hmm. but it's not a, I don't accept you or you're going to get special privileges. These aren't special privileges. These are just the rights of any human to say, this is who I am. This is my identity. And we need to be thoughtful about that and just be aware that um, we're, we're talking about humans here, not just people in some group that we want to label as whatever. Mm -hmm. So Miss Elena Joy,
0: I don't say it as good as you do, Jackie. You don't. You do it, okay, it. Okay. Time. It's I'll Elena work, Joy Thurston.
1: <laughs> how how can people find you? Where are you on social media? Um, how can they hire you? Hmm.
2: LinkedIn is where I hang out the most. I feel like my people are really there, so LinkedIn is great. I'm there on Elena Joy Thurston. You can learn about me and the foundation. But we're everywhere. We have the website. We have the Twitter. We have the Instagram. I've even gone onto the enthralling portals of TikTok. TikTok Whoa. lesbians are life changing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So we've got a, a, a TikTok subscriber. I think Jackie, do you use TikTok? I do. I just troll them. Yeah. I I don't think I've actually ever been on TikTok. I just um, jumped
2: on Clubhouse. Are you guys there?
1: Not I, yet. I'm
0: an Android person. I can't Oh, then me. you're yeah, you're
1: I'm I'm completely othered. And We are, we are there. not inclusive of people no. you, that use
0: Android. We take exception. Yes, yes. Get on it's iPhone podcast. We love all the Apple podcasts. Yes. I am yeah. a Mac user, so I'm almost there. I'm working on it. <laughs> slowly but surely yeah exactly
1: we'll bring you to the dark side don't you worry um well thank you so much for joining us we truly appreciate you sharing your story and you know if uh, folks want to get a hold of you as you mentioned linkedin and we'll also put um, some of your contact information in the show notes um, thank you all so much for listening and for joining us. If you like this episode, please do subscribe, share a review. Um, five stars only, thank you. Um, and I think that's all we've got for today. Jackie. Okay, bye. Have a great day.